Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, we are one week away from one of my favorite pods of the year. Uh, the live NFL draft pod. I'm you know, very, very excited for it this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're gonna, it looks like we're gonna have some special guests on the, on the pod. Maybe, maybe one, maybe two. We'll see how, uh, see how that goes. But, uh, we're gonna have some fun next week. I'm definitely looking forward to it. There's, there's a non-zero chance, uh, that we'll be streaming live, um, through, uh, another web, another, uh, podcast website or something. So we'll, we'll certainly tweet out the information if that's gonna be the case. I like to think that you know, I listen to a fair amount of podcasts. I know you guys do. I'm sure our listeners do. And I like to think compared to the average podcast, we're pretty tight in terms of the way we tackle topics, the way we move through the topics we want to tackle, uh, compared to the average podcast that maybe takes a little longer to get going. There's a little bit more scattershot. That's because we save it all up for the draft pod. And, <laughs> and, and we dump this giant cluster. All into one pod, and I look forward to it so much. Just the unhinged brilliance of our yearly draft pod. And yeah, maybe we can bring in a friend or two to uh, to be a part of the train wreck with us. So we're, later on uh, t- this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the potential for Northwestern players in the draft. Mainly Clayton Thorson, but there's definitely some other guys we're going to take a look at. Before we get to that, um, we do need to talk about... Uh, lacrosse and softball and just their, the way their seasons have been going. Um, starting with softball. I mean, we talked last week about just what a critical three game stretch against Wisconsin uh, <laughs> this past weekend was going to be. And what how, did the cats how'd they, do? How'd they do? <laughs> yeah. Boom goes the dynamite. Oh, so pretty. That, that was just a sweep over Wisconsin. Uh, now Northwestern up to 18th in the, the ESPN, uh, poll. Um, I'm sure ranked in the other polls as well, but undefeated in Big Ten play. Um, you know, we've got a, a series against Purdue coming up this weekend. Uh, these ladies are just playing out of their minds right now. Well, I just, I, we got it. We got to walk through these three games just, just a little bit. Absolutely. So game one, no, please. Game one, Daniel Williams comes out and just dominates Wisconsin. Seven innings, four hits, one earned run. The Cats win four to one. Uh, Game two, North uh, Wisconsin gets out. To, well, we get out to a to a lead in the first inning, but Wisconsin came right back uh, and went up five three. And the Cats responded to the bottom of the fourth with five runs, including I believe back to back homers um, from uh, from Rachel Lewis and Morgan Nelson uh, to to end up winning that game eight to five. And then in the final, uh, Daniel Williams comes back out again. Pitches all 10 innings of this game. She did give up uh, one run four innings in a row that allowed Wisconsin to tie it up with Northwestern 4-4 going into the 7th. They went into extras. And in the bottom of the 10th, you have Lily Novak hitting a walk-off home run to complete the sweep. This was... um, this was phenomenal. It was really exciting softball. It was um, an epic finish, and it's vaulted the cats up into. I think John, you said 18th in the in the national polls, roughly. Yeah, 18th in the ESPN or what is it? ESPN USA softball 
top 25. And we and there's a couple polls, but that's one of the biggest. And yeah, up to 18th. 33 so, and 7. Yeah, crazy. Just un, undefeated in conference play. Still, I think, what, 12 and 0 now? Um, and it's, you know, it's unlikely that, that they're not going to lose a conference game at some point. But um, they had a chance to make a huge statement. And wow, did they ever. Danielle Williams uh, extends her record to 21 and 3. She's, again, again, again. It's not like the. It, it, it's it's. Thank goodness this isn't like a college football situation or college basketball because she'd be gone. But we get three more years of her, um, um, which is br- just breaking, incredible. Breaking news, although this should come as a shock to nobody, but uh, Williams was named top twenty-five finalist for NFCA Freshman of the Year. Of yeah. course she is. Yeah, that that, yeah. That, that that absolutely tracks. I'll, I'll tell you what I. Ain't no freshman pitching better than she is. I've looked. <laughs> so I assume it's her and just girls that are just swatting the ball out of the park left and right. But uh, there, it's it's amazing. And shouts, you mentioned it earlier, Scuzz, but shouts to Lily Novak, um, only because we've touted this freshman class so much. Um, and Novak, Novak uh, with the walk-off homer, um, which is sweet. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's this team is getting it done all over the place. I mean, Williams is the leader, but yeah, it's just just absolutely fantastic. Uh, also, getting it done uh, today against Michigan is uh, women's lacrosse. Um, Cats win at home, uh, fourteen to eleven. Uh, coming back because uh, what we Michigan was up pretty big, and then uh, Northwestern made a, a great run late. Um, you know, knocking off Michigan, who was 14, is now 14 and 2, uh, Northwestern 10 and 4 on the season. Um, coming off, uh, last week, um, the loss to Maryland in a game that, you know, was tied late. And then, Ugh. and then the rain came. Um, it was, it was a gnarly, gnarly storm. And they ended up going inside to finish it off. It's so bizarre that you can just like start a game in one place and then, oh, we're going to go ahead and just go inside and finish it off. Um, Maryland Whoa. took advantage of the, the dry, the clean and, you know, scored three goals at the, at the end there to come away with the W. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the move indoors really hurt Northwestern because we, I, you know, it, it's hard to say that the cats were going to win that game. They certainly had a lot of momentum going, um, and were and were basically trading blows with Maryland outside uh, before they they shut things down. And actually, and, and maybe even took took a couple goal lead. Um, I can't quite remember the exact timing of of when they went back indoors, but um, the Cats came out of halftime just firing on all cylinders and. I, I really – like, A, the break gave Maryland a chance to regroup. But more importantly, I do think the weather played a factor. I think there's a mental element to that, especially when you're at home. It's 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 um, elements that you've played in, you're used to, you're mentally prepared for it. And when when you've got a team that's, you know, kind of rising up in front of you plus you're battling the elements, that's just a lot tougher mentally than when you only have one of those two things to, to, sus, to suss out. And – it just it just felt like it killed Northwestern's momentum, and Maryland completely took control once they went indoors and ended up winning seventeen thirteen. But um, yeah, I, I believe man, I believe it was tied to thirteen going inside. Was that what it was? With, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they they just you know what are you going to do, right? Like, and and 
obviously I'm not blaming anybody. It's just, it's just unfortunate. I think, I think the end of that game might've been a lot more, um, edge of your seat had they been able to, to complete it outside. Yeah. But I mean that, that weather, there was, there was no way they were going to finish outside if, you know, if they didn't want to wait like hours. Yeah. It was, it, it was a pretty gnarly storm. If anything, I think, you know, the, the regret is that it wasn't started inside to begin with. And that's not to say, I mean, again, Maryland turned it on when they got inside, but like Scuzz said, I mean, that might have been less due to Maryland and more due to just this, this change in the environment. And I don't know. I mean, again, hindsight's 2020. It would have been nice if they could have started it, the game and played the entire thing inside. The, the Michigan game, I mean, to me, sums up what this team's been doing so well this season in, you know, from an offensive perspective. Um, although, the goal tally is low these below these stratospheric heights that we've talked about in the weeks leading up to this. Um, you still had a scoring attack driven by nine goals from Selena Lasota, Lauren Gilbert, and Izzy Skane. And those are three players that are closing in on 120 combined goals at this point in the season. Um, so that's where the firepower is coming from. And like Sam said, I think Michigan got up it was sort of back and forth. Michigan got up two goals, and then Northwestern was just like, where I am going, you cannot follow, and just scored six of the last seven and, and kind of walked away with it. But, yeah, it's a team that is in fine form heading into uh, a huge game in South Bend. What's exciting for me, just you know, kind of cruising through the schedule, you go back to that North Carolina-Boston College matchup, uh, match, those two matchups, and even Syracuse back in March, and I feel like Northwestern's defense has gotten a bit better. We talked about how midseason, you know, right around that Boston College game, the offense got a little more exciting. Um, they they moved Izzy Skein up into the attack more often. That's really paid dividends. It feels like against, uh, like really in these last four games, against, you know, really solid foes, Penn, Johns Hopkins, Maryland, and Michigan, the the goals allowed have, have really come down. You know, they were giving up 20, 21-22, 15, 20 against the likes of Duke, Syracuse, North Carolina, and Boston College. Um, and now, you know, holding Penn and Hopkins to 13, holding Michigan only to 11, and then against Maryland, who I think has the best, uh, second best offense possibly in, in the country. Um, they held them to, to, to only 17, and it was, it was, it was trending a little bit lower than that, uh, before we went indoors, as we talked about earlier, but I, re- I really like how the Cats are playing. This game against Notre Dame is just kind of one more, Big matchup before we get to, to playoff time and uh, another opportunity for them to kind of cement their their status as as a threat going into the uh, the NCAAs. Yeah, uh, at Notre Dame um, on Saturday, uh, number four Notre Dame. So, you know, tough one on the road. And then finishing off the season at Ohio State. Um, so, you know, Michigan today was senior day at, uh, at Martin Stadium. So, you know, congrats to... Lasota and the other seniors for a wonderful career playing at the best lacrosse stadium in the country. Uh, before we get to our draft talk, there is other news we should discuss uh, from the recruiting side. Um, football landed a couple great recruits, and uh, we, we got a, a pretty stellar recruit uh, committing to basketball as well. Um, you know, Couple 2020 guys for football, uh, linebacker Xander Mueller, uh, is committing to play with his brother, uh, yet another set of brothers playing for the Cats. 
And then Tara Edwards, uh, offensive lineman, who took who picked Northwestern over Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, among others. Um, you know, that that's a huge get. I mean, this guy is a beast. Yeah, Edwards is the guy that I'm really excited about. I mean, he, he kind of fits the profile of the everything you want in an offensive lineman. I mean, obviously, that, this is personal preference. When I think of an offensive lineman, I think of a bowling ball guard who runs people over or a center. Um, Jared Thomas would be the, the epitome of that in terms of guys who are on our roster right now. I just love guys like that. Um, and that is Edwards. And he is legit. Um Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Tennessee offers. Who boy, that is that is a prime list, and that's of he has twenty five plus offers. So this guy is a legit guard who is going to have a chance to you know very early in his career be in the guard rotation for us, and I'm I'm stoked about that. We have talked at length this off season already about the shift from Adam Cushing to Kurt Anderson what that might mean for the offensive line, what that might mean for Northwestern. Put this as like, don't do anything with it yet. Mark this one down in your notebook. Because this, if if this is a, a sign of the things to come and what we might hope he can do with this group, just put this one down and, and we'll, we'll circle back in a couple years and when we get back to, you know, the some of the topics you brought up, John, around like, Northwestern gets one good O or like develops one good O line in, in a class. Right. You need to get to two or three. This is the first tally on the paper. Obviously this, he hasn't played yet, but, but the recruiting and the pedigree and the competition speaks for itself. This is a high ceiling player and absolutely. And this is the kind of guy we're right. Exactly. If you're, if you're going to make your bones coaching, you take a guy like this and you turn him into an all conference guard. Absolutely. So we will see. A uh, couple couple notes from spring ball before we uh, talk about our our basketball recruit. Uh, what's interesting, um, you know, as the spring practice is wrapped up, uh, Inside and You had had a nice little article talking about some of the news and notes coming out of that. And what's interesting is the offensive line that seems to be the first team. And I, I'm just going to run this down for you and see what you guys think. Uh, from left to right, Rashawn Slater, Nick Urban, Jared Thomas, Sam Stovall, and Gunnar Vogel. The interesting one is Stovall. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, and you know, he's the guy who's been in the mix, but you're talking about a young guy who is kind of getting his chance to show out now. Um, and yeah, that's certainly, I mean, we're talking, you know, very young. Um, and just the fact that he was someone who was not that highly rated of a recruit coming in. Um, and when he signed him, you know, I, I think our reaction because of the just the lack of offers above a certain level. I mean, I don't know that he had any power five offers. I think he was a guy we targeted relatively late in the game. So, again, circling back to what Scuzz literally just said. Um, if a guy like Sam Stovall is suddenly turning into like a developmental guy, um, that speaks very highly of Kurt Anderson. Um yeah, so we're I'll be very excited to see what happens there. Yeah, kind of in a so here's like a couple of I guess you could call them negative notes um coming out of spring. Nobody's fault, of course, but uh we already talked a little bit a few pods back about the idea of Trent Gones becoming a two way player 
and getting some time at Superback. Sounds like Tommy Carnifax is in that mix as well. And I think, John, you were seeing some stuff that sounds like Trey Pugh well, is banged I'm, up. I'm reading between the lines. We know he was banged up in the spring, but I, it just, it's worrisome to me just because on paper, Pugh is such a blue chip guy that you would think, like, he, he himself takes solve so many problems that, yeah, if, if, if we're flexing this many guys, it kind of tells me that maybe the prognosis is a little bit worse. I don't base that on anything other than speculation, but yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit of unfortunate news. The other one that, that jumped out to me is um, Joe Spivak, who we have kind of long quietly celebrated as, uh, as like... Boasts a 2.0. Exactly, like an amazing personality that's on this team. Um, supposedly, inside NU kind of phrases is like he was a front runner to, to to fill a gap on the defensive line, like like step in and play a bit at DT. Uh, but has it been in a boot and, and not practicing much? Um, on the flip side of that is what's going on with safety. So Jr. Pace is banged up, was not really playing, but that meant that Bryce Jackson and Brian Bullock, who are both like high-end recruits from Texas were playing alongside Travis Willick and just the embarrassment of riches that we have at the safety position is spectacular. Um, the other fun one is Cameron Ruiz is kind of establishing himself in, in the mold of this uh, much in the way that, that Harris and Hartage emerged as, as freshmen and then became kind of like the go-to lockdown corner uh, for the rest of their careers. I think, you know, Ruiz, appears to be entering that shoot. We'll see, we'll see if he can get there, but um, that seems to be uh, something, something to have our eyes on come fall time. I mean, he definitely showed some great flashes last year um, and he showed some freshman flashes too, but uh, you know, I, I'm definitely excited to see what Cam Ruiz brings to the table in a, what should be a full-time starter next year. I, I wouldn't hate it if he wanted to keep playing special teams too. If you wanted to block a few more punts, yeah. <laughs> nationally televised games. I'd be all right with that also. Uh, to pivot to basketball a little bit, uh, no pun intended, I uh, do want to mention that we have our first recruit for the 2020 season. Uh, Joe Bamisil, a 6'5 guard, kind of combo shooting and point guard uh, from Chesterfield County, Virginia. Um, he committed to Northwestern. He is ranked the 106th best player overall in the country. Uh so, you know, a nice, solid three-star recruit coming in. Um, guy who's, you know, has good shot, can take it to the rim. I, I don't know how well he is of a point guard, but someone who has the ability to play point guard if necessary. But, uh, you know, this is a, a much, much needed position for Northwestern. Uh, someone to play guard. Yeah. Word, word is he's a four star by some services. Um, he I mean, may play. He he's planning to reclassify to 2019, and he's a guy whose recruitment apparently really blew up this this past season. Is that so? Is that a thing? I I mean, I was wondering about that. That he is he planning on reclassifying to 19? I mean, that's a massive deal. If he I is. mean, I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, that certainly would help explain why he was signing with Northwestern. <laughs> There has been talk about it, but um, according to Louis Vacare, uh, he said he's going to stay uh, in his 2020 class and, and not come to Northwestern until that 2020-21 season. But so I, I mean, mean, it's remain. It still remains to be seen. I mean, stuff could change between now and fall. 
I mean, it's interesting, and, and we talked about a little bit of this before the pod. Scuzz made the point, Chris Collins has never had a problem recruiting top players. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's not the, that's not the problem. <laughs> that, is, that has not been an issue, and to the point is because, I mean, like, some might say this is a, I mean, 106th nationally still puts Joe Bamisil right around top five-ish players ever to you know at least in the chris collins era or the carmody era to sign with northwestern i mean that's a big time recruit this is a guy you're talking picked us over florida georgia tech virginia tech amongst other schools so um then the you know the question becomes why um not to hate but i mean it's like you know we're trending downward a little right now certainly the chance to play is one of them it's interesting i i kind of fold this in with the fact that at least right now it looks like we have a really good chance to land um, this transfer from um, Valparaiso, Javon Freeman, who is, I think, was from Whitney Young and, you know, had a solid freshman year and is viewed as, you know, I think ESPN has him as, I think, a top 40 um, sit-out-a-year transfer in the nation, which is nothing to shake a stick at. He's a quality player, almost in the exact same mold. These are both like 6'4", 180 to 200-pound shooting guards. Um it won't help us any next year, which again, next year, the clouds are just darkening by the minute. But, um, two years from now, um, you'd have, you know, the thought of two highly rated, um, tall shooting guards coming in with a combined seven years of eligibility between them. Um, so again, you can, you have to look a little ways down the road, but you could potentially see, and again, I, you know, that's not to say that Freeman has signed, but we seem to have a pretty good shot, but you can look pretty far down the road and see, you know, there are guards on the horizon. Not, well, maybe not. Well, and John, John, let me, let me stop you there. Cause you never know what happens when you enter the transfer portal. That's true. I mean, I, you know, if it's anything like Stargate, maybe we can get like half of this guy right now and half of another guy. And, you know, it's all it's all possible. We ready to talk a little NFL draft here, boys? Let's do it. So uh, a week from today, tonight, as we record this on Thursday, uh, the first round of the NFL draft will be underway. And, um, you know, kind of the big question we have from a Northwestern point of view, uh, obviously next week we'll be talking more from the uh, NFL side of things as, as you know, the, the draftees get picked to their respective teams, but don't pretend like we have a specific thing we're going to be talking about next week, Sam. <laughs> the train Fair. is going to run off the tracks. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of interesting uh, storylines to go into Going into the draft, especially at number one, we'll talk about that uh, later. Definitely go into that next week, depending on you know what Arizona Cardinals decide to do. But let's let's talk, let's talk about Clayton Thorson a little bit. You know, he, this is a guy who's you know had been th- there had been whiffs at some point of him like at the bottom of the first round. That's that's not going to happen. I, I think at this point, um, you know, it, he's really more likely uh, is possibly a, a day two, but more than likely a day three pick, uh, like third or fourth round. Um, what's been interesting is to see what teams he's been visiting. Now, l- let's keep in mind that these in-team visits are normally just 100% smokescreen. Um, they, they mean nothing, really. But uh, still, you see some optics on, on who Thorson's been meeting with. Um, 
Yeah, he met with the Broncos. He's met with the Patriots. He's met with the Panthers a couple times. Um, met with so, the Redskins. Sounds like the Redskins are in the mix. Yep. Yeah, I mean these, these are like, you know, as far as you know, Denver and and the Redskins, those are two teams that pre- need a quarterback pretty soon. Uh, Carolina, you know, Cam Newton's still in his prime, but uh, you can definitely start grooming a backup. And then in New England, obviously, you know, Brady is going to play till what he's. 55, 60 years old, maybe, but, you know, they do need to start thinking about uh, a backup. You know, they had Garoppolo there for a few years until, yeah, that was an untenable situation and Garoppolo wanted to to play, so they shipped him off to San Francisco. But, uh, you know, I would absolutely hate to see Thorson in a Patriot uniform, but that's just personal preference. Um, You know, I... Where where do you think uh, number eighteen would be a a good fit, and where do you think he might uh, end up hearing his name called? For me, I mean, I like the dream for me would be that let's say the Colts draft him to back up Andrew Luck or something of that ilk. You need to protect Thorson as much as possible. Um, and that's kind of where I come down to. The Pats had a pretty highly graded offensive line last year, even after what letting one of their top players go as they are wont to do. Um, and in that sense, you know, the, the same would apply. Again, if, if you're backing up Tom Brady and he goes down, that is an absolutely insane pressure cooker to have to go into. But basically I want Clayton. I mean, we, we think he probably goes to a place where he's most likely not competing for the number one job, but with a chance to back somebody up. Um, <clears throat> and I'd love to go that I'd love to know he's going to a place, um, not just because I don't want him to get hurt, but I just think we all have watched enough of Clayton to know that he's at his best when he can sit in a clean pocket and work and take advantage of, of his best gifts. And that's the kind of situation I want him to end up in. Yeah, I am. Um... I just don't want him to go to Washington in part because I just can't stand that franchise. But I mean, really, and we've talked about Thorson really needs an O-line. Um, especially when you look at what happened to Trevor Simeon, who, you know, did well with the Broncos, but didn't have the body to sustain play in the NFL. Like we, we just got injured too easily. And, and the Broncos then once their line kind of fell apart and their coaching staff changed over, like he was, he was toast. Um, you want him to end up in a good situation. Frankly, like, you know, I don't like the Patriots either, but that would be an awesome situation for him. Um, you know where else could be a, an interesting situation? I was just thinking. Uh, another place where you've got an aging quarterback and no real heir apparent, and that'd be in L.A. with the Chargers. You sit him behind Phil Rivers for a little bit, put him back with J.J.? Handing off to J.J., Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. It looked like there was, you know, a little bit of smoke to Trevor to the Chargers at 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 one point and it didn't end up coming to fruition. But yeah, that would be cool. In their in their powder blue primaries that they're gonna have this year. Um that would be pretty sweet. Again, the Chargers do not have a good offensive line right now, and that would be the most worrisome thing to me. Again, it's you're like you said, Thorson's most likely not going somewhere to start. So it's hard to do this based on current projections, but my thinking is, you know, if he gets, I just don't see him going to a place where he's going to win a job the same way that Trev was able to. 
Um, not to say that it can't happen, but most likely if Clayton's going to play, it's going to be because someone got hurt. And I mean, I mean, as a rookie. And if that happens, I want him in the most stable situation possible, which probably would not be the Chargers. But yes, obviously we all get giddy just thinking about the possibility, even in a preseason game of Clayton hanging off, to, handing off to JJ. That would be pretty awesome. Personally, that makes me nauseous because I'm already conflicted enough having to <laughs> cheer for JJ, you know, him being with the Chargers. But uh, if Clayton is there too, that would just wreck me inside. I mean, Eric, that'd be like, you know, two guys playing for the Packers or the Bears. Hey, I, you know, I had to watch Corey Wooten uh, in a Bears jersey for quite a few years and hear it, hear it from our buddy Eller nonstop. Um, I, I just, I just wanted to, to, to go somewhere and, and, and be able to have some success, much like Trevor did. I think, uh, and, and even, you know, Kafka to a certain degree, but before them, I just, I, th- I think the idea that Thornton becomes a, every week starter in the NFL, unless he's able to really dramatically improve his, his accuracy and some of his, um, you know, kind of vision, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think he's got all the tools to, to be decent in the NFL as, as a backup. Um, I think when you, when you line up his, not measurables, but his, like more of his advanced stats, like looking under the covers of, you know, his accuracy in, uh, short yardage and his um, the the power behind his deep throws. Like he can throw the ball deep, but is he able to do it in a way that that hits the window and the receiver running in stride and and those sorts of situations? So I think he's he's definitely got some work to do if he's gonna if he's gonna crack that at the NFL level. I think that's a lot of the reason why we see him as a as a pro- probably a day three pick. But you never know; there could be a run on QBs. Um, Teams certainly have liked him. the 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 biggest challenge at the NFL level with a quarterback is the the mental side of it, and finding a guy who's able and willing to do the film work and think quickly enough on the field. And I like having Kafka with some success in the NFL before coming a, becoming a QB coach having Trevor perform as well as he did with the Broncos, you know, injuries and offensive line, notwithstanding those are really beneficial things for Thorson in that people have, have seen other quarterbacks that have come out of the Northwestern system that have come out of the tutelage of fat of Fitz and McCall that, that goes a long way at the next level. So we'll see what happens. Um, I, you know, I just want him to go somewhere, somewhere good. Just not, not Washington, please. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, like you said, that franchise is a tire fire on yeah. so many levels. Carolina would be cool. Um, I don't know. I think San Diego would be cool, although the coaching situation there is, you know, like, to your point, John, is definitely a problem. I uh, think. I think. Another... I don't know. I don't know about Denver, Sammy. I'm a little, <laughs> a little you know, there, but um... I, th- I think another another thing too, right, is between last season through this season, I I you know let him get drafted, let him go somewhere, and then let him sit and get healthy. Um, you know, if it'd be nice if he was not in the line of fire for a season, you know, or, yeah. or even two seasons, as long as he's got a stable place. Um, because I think, you know, for him, and we, we've seen this with Clayton too, mentally, as well as physically, the healthier he is, the better off he is. So yeah, let's see him get a nice paycheck. Hey, if, you know, let's see a crazy run. I want Drew Locke first round, Daniel Jones first round, uh, 
Tyree Jackson, sure, throw him into the first round too. Let's see some colossal run on first round QBs that pushes Clayton <laughs> up into the, the third round or the second round. Let him get a nice fat chunk of change up front and then let him sit on the bench and get healthy. I I will say this. I don't I don't know how good Thorson's gonna be at the next level. I know I am quite confident that Daniel Jones as a first round draft pick is is kind of laughable. And I think a lot of the talk there is very much for the same, some of the same reasons I just said it about Thorson um, being where he comes from. And I think Daniel Jones is being talked about purely on the fact that he was, he was taught by David Cutcliffe. It's certainly possible. And again, like that's, I mean, we saw it firsthand. He's got a cannon for an arm, but they were running a real system and it's, it's not the same kind of deal in the NFL at all. (laughs) A real system with with TJ Roming ripping off like sixty yard TDs off of crossing routes all the time. Right. Well, let's put it this way: if if you think that you can go and get under center in the NFL, hike the ball and immediately throw a quick a quick slant on every play, there's <laughs> gonna you're gonna throw a lot of sixty yard completions. But it's just the not other way. Be, yeah, yeah, not to the team yeah. you want. Yeah. But hey, whatever. I don't care. Get him up into the first round. Let's push the entire group. A rising tide lifts all ships. I want Clayton to get some of that second, third round money. Let's see it happen. I just, I just don't see a big run on quarterbacks this year. Like Kyler Murray might go one um, to the Cardinals, which is just that whole story is fascinating to me. Um, as I alluded to earlier, it's like. If if they pick Murray one, then they're going to pretty much need to trade Rosen, right? Because it's it's an interesting thing because won't you, wouldn't you have that is kind of weird because if they do take Murray one, you'll have all of these other teams that are thinking about drafting quarterbacks wondering if they can just trade for Rosen instead. Um, yeah, I mean, and, like you trade like a third or a fourth for Rosen, a right. guy who was like tenth overall last year, right, and has a year of experience. Sure for. Uh, just a tire fire of the Cardinals last year. But, uh, you know, he, like, I, I don't think there was any argument that Rosen was a first-round talent. Look, he comes from money, and he doesn't need football. And only one <laughs> we're, kind we're gonna of We're going to relitigate this again? Only one kind of person can succeed in the NFL. And that's, it's like, oh, God, ridiculous. Whatever, if that leads for some team to be able to get him for a steal. But, no, again... I want I, I want to hear Tyree Jackson's name called by pick thirty, and then I'll know Clayton's about to make some fat money. So that that's what I'm looking for. Um, some other Wildcats who could be in the mix in the sixth, seventh round, but more than likely uh, as uh, UFAs, um, Jordan Thompson, Nate Hall, Montre Hardage. I think are the big three. That we're looking at, but I guess Flynn Nagel also had uh, some impressive workouts. Um, you know, got a couple of O linemen who will get some sniffs. Uh, Tommy Doles. Tommy Doles, absolutely. I'm curious if if you guys who if you had to pick one player, regardless of drafting free agent, who you think is positioned for the most success in the NFL, other than Thorson, what what name would you guys pick? I'd probably go with Hall. Yeah, I was going. I was going there too. I, I can also see Nagel as a, as a slot guy. Inch- yeah, in the in the mold of Austin Carr. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, the, the the thing about Hall for me is 
how good he was as a linebacker in coverage, but without sacrificing any any ability in in um, run stopping or tackling, especially in the open field. His open field tackling was incredible, and that that skill set translates really really well to the NFL, where you have to have fast linebackers that can that can operate in coverage schemes. And again, like I don't I don't think any of these guys is a every week starter, but um, I think they all get looks in camp. And I, I like, I like hall. I, mean, I think there's a lot of special teams potential for him as well. Um, I just think he's got the most paths to, uh, to making it at the next level. Yeah. So to me, there's such the big X factor, right? With hall. And then probably my top guy would be Jordan Thompson. Um, and, and both of this, just the injury situation. And I, I can't help but thinking back to Nick Van Hoos. And this is, again, it's going negative Nancy here, but Nick Van Hoos was a guy who got hurt at the worst possible time, right? When he was going into, you know, the, the draft, he wasn't able to work out for anybody, wasn't able to do anything. And, and as, because he was already kind of like a fringe guy, that was kind of it for him. Um, and I think Hall and Thompson are both in a little bit better of a situation. Um, and I think those are, those are two, I, you know, I, I wish to heck that both of those two guys were healthy because for me, those are one and one A in terms of the guys with the most. I mean, Thompson, he's a guy who, as a disruptor, could easily be in the mix on a, on a defensive line. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, you can get him to 300 pounds. He's certainly proven, you know, like, like we said this year, he graded out incredibly well in the Big Ten, um, against tough competition. And, uh, you know, has a little bit of flexibility, could play in, could play tackle, just as like a, a guy in the mix. Um, Nagel, I can't help thinking that Jeremy Ebert did everything Nagel does better. And, yeah. and yeah. Ebert wasn't able to hang on. Now he came close and Ebert, you know, had three, you know, had a couple long cups of coffee there, right? Um, and, uh, you know, was certainly. Carolina, right? Yeah, Carolina and. I wanted to say the Pats, but I guess maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, yeah, no, I don't think so. But he, I think we all, we all thought that that's where he right. was going. Yeah, up. he had a, but he had a couple solid years. I mean, at least two, maybe more, three. Um, in you know, solid camp years, and just wasn't able to hang on. But um, that's not to throw shade at Nagel. I mean, like you said, Carr did it. Um, I would certainly Hardage. I would love it, but I just the measurables are crushing him. Um, I. He's a guy. I'm. I'm so confident that he's a guy that's going to look better in in camp um, for sure than than his measurables would would indicate. And when you when you look at what he did against good receivers in the Big Ten, he was really good this year. I he just I don't know if he's fast enough. I think like they, they. I think he ran a four six. Yeah, yeah, and, that sounds and, right. And without the size to be like. A, a matchup problem for for a, a certain type of receiver, and without the speed to keep up with other types of receivers, I just I don't know that I don't know the path is there. Right. What, what mean, about what about Jared McGee? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I McGee was a guy who was just kind of around, always getting it done. I mean, he screams like a special teams kind of guy, which he absolutely could be. Um, I don't know. Better, I. Just, I guess better in coverage than like a Travion Henry, but yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, he's certainly a fringe guy. I mean, he'll get into a camp with someone for sure. I can't help but think, you know, like 
a guy like Godwin has had kind of a hard time really kind of cracking in. And I, you know, I, I would certainly put Godwin above Jared. Um, Doles is another guy where it's like, Doles doesn't do anything poorly. Um, and certainly on a deep offensive line, he could certainly be a, a rotation player. But he certainly doesn't have, I don't think, any kind of wow factor um, that's going to lead to him getting picked. But he's another guy, again, he does nothing, to your point about Hardage, Doles does nothing wrong. And if he gets into the camps, I think, you know, he might be, he might look better in pads. But to me, it's the success all boils down to Hall and Thompson getting healthy off of these injuries. Um, and if, if they can get there, for sure, I think those two guys could be NFL players. So, yeah, we're going to be back next week with our annual draft pod. Uh, so much fun. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. See what sort of special guests we'll be able to bring in. Um, be sure to tune in and keep an eye on our Twitter feed. Yeah, if this uh, live stream ends up coming together, we'll you know promote the heck out of it. And so, you know, keep an eye out on that. And it, it's, it's right. just going to be a good time. Would you rather be... Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive investigating the train wreck the day after, or would you rather be Harrison Ford on the on the bus hopping off right before it gets hit by the train? You want to be Harrison Ford, so come on, get in on this live stream if we can make it happen. <laughs> oh well, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Yeah, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Westlaw Pirates. You can email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially before it. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbar and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>